I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we got Dee Dee Caldwell with us. She is the principal and founder of Global Location Strategies. So, Dee Dee, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So, we're doing this live from our Mardi Gras New Orleans conference. So, if you hear some noise in the background, that's just par for the course. So, Dee Dee's a legend in the business, so she doesn't need very much introduction. But, Dee Dee, tell these folks a little bit about your firm in case they might not know you. Okay. Uh, so, my firm is Global Location Strategies. We're based in Greenville, South Carolina, but there's global in the name for a reason. We do site selection work globally. Um, I joke that I spent the first 10 years of my career moving companies out of the United States, and I've spent the last 10 years moving them back in. But I have been doing this 24 years now, so I'm a veteran, I guess. But uh, we do primarily manufacturing and with a particular niche and process-related heavy industrial projects. Yeah, you guys do heavy industrial. So I guess, you know, years ago when I got in the business, a billion dollars was a lot of money, but now that's like a standard heavy project. I mean, what are you seeing in that regard as far as capital investment? Oh yeah, definitely. When I got in the business, a hundred million dollar investment was a big project. Now it's, you know, if it doesn't start with the B, there's not a whole lot of excitement around it. Now I will say that there are a lot of good projects out there that are in the several hundred hundred million dollars. And those are easier in some ways to cite and get running. Um, but we have certainly seen a big uptick in what I would classify as mega projects. So if you look at the data, um, there were 19 mega projects announced in 2021 alone. And I classified mega is more than a thousand jobs and a minimum of a $1 billion investment. And that represents a huge increase from what we had been seeing previously. And then one of the things that's happening is that a lot of those projects are looking more and more at North America. So between 2007 and 2017, there were 60 mega projects that were announced and 28% of those went to the, went to North America since 2021, uh, since 2018. So the last four years, um, there have been 44 mega projects announced 19, like I said, just last year. And 50% of those have been announced in North America. So both the number of those projects and also where they are looking has changed dramatically. Right. Are you finding it harder now to find good prepared sites? I mean, are we yes. running out of sites? So, we are definitely yeah. running we out got of TVA sites. TVA just gave a talk on, they just landed the Ford Blue Oval project. And they had that mega site program. They had like 10 sites at one time. I think they're down to one. So mm-hmm. what would you tell economic developers when it comes to preparing your sites to win? 
I would tell them that it's almost impossible to do too much at this point. The better your site is, the more prepared you are, the more likely you are to win. And like you said, we're just running out of opportunities. And so if, a, if an economic development organization can differentiate themselves by having a wide inventory of product that is as close to shovel ready as you can possibly make it, it's, it's really hard to, to, to go wrong. I always say that, you know, economic development is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, you, you make all these investments now and it may take a really long time before you see the payoff. And you look at places like Huntsville that have been developing their mega site for a decade or so, that Memphis mega site where um, Blue Oval went, that had been under development for many years. But instead of a marathon now, I'm thinking it might be a little bit more like a 10K. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the pace of projects and the decisions that are being made and the size of these projects has just changed a lot. Yeah. So if an economic developer has a site that's prepared, what's the best way to get on a site selector like your right now? I mean, what's too much? What's the best way to do it? You know, how should they let you know what they have? I, I think the most traditional way is just be ready to respond to RFIs, but they want to make sure that they can get in front of site selectors to make them aware that their site exists. So if your utility, your state, your region has a site database, make sure that your site is featured prominently in that and that all the information is up to, up to date. I would also say definitely have a website for it because if you go online and you just type mega sites in the Southeast, there are several web pages that will come up. And so you want to be on that front page. Um, beyond that, I, I know that Baldwin County just recently they um, did something I thought was pretty effective. They did a mailing because I think they had just gone through some due diligence and some additional funding to bring the rail in and that sort of thing. But they also bought like the cover of Site Selection Magazine. And Site Selection Magazine goes out to a lot of different site selectors. And even if we don't read everything that's in between it, it comes and we see it. I don't like, I don't like mail that I have to open Mm -hmm. unless it's something personal or something really specific to me. So I like postcards and things like that because I can look at it. I can grasp the information really quickly. And a lot of times I'll take some a site like that, that I'm really interested in. And we have our own proprietary site database that we keep. It's an inventory of the sites that we have looked at for projects over the last 10, 12 years. And then we also proactively put sites in that. So that would be for me personally, if you think that you have a good site that would fit with the type of projects that I work, which is the big, heavy industrial projects, make sure that we can actually go to our website and you can say, add, our, add a site, you fill out a Google form, and then we'll put it in our, our database oh, wow. so that we can cool. keep up with it. I didn't know you did that yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to say that, uh, so we do one or two site selection projects a year. We're nowhere near in y'all's league. Uh, but I'm shocked at how bad some RFP answers are. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so I know what you... So, I mean, I'm, if I'm an economic developer and I'm trying to get on your good side, I, even if I didn't think I could win a project, I assume when somebody properly fills one out, your team, you know, considers that town for me. Oh, yeah, can absolutely. You, can you win by losing if you do your homework? I'm, I'm just shocked at how bad some of the responses we get are. I don't know if you have that problem or not. Yes, we do. And we, we have a reputation for having a very thorough RFP. Um, but the reason that we ask those questions is because we really need to have the answers. I mean, we don't, we're not just trying to put people through the exercise, um, but you are absolutely right. I mean, there's nothing that makes, turns us off more than having a really incomplete and inaccurate RFP. And the flip side of that is if you do a really good job um, filling out the RFP, if even if that project isn't 
the best for you, we will remember that. And we'll make sure that we come back to you because we really like for, you know, to work with clients that make us look good, yeah. you know, in front of our, in front of our clients. So talk about some of the technology you have now, not only for site selection clients, but economic developers that may make that RFP process easier as they go through. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have two technology platforms that we have been building over the last three years. Um, one of them is called Lasso and that we developed in conjunction with Evergy and it's built on the platform of the lowest database, but it is a, um, a way for site selectors, corporate actives, uh, regional or state or utility project managers, anyone who is performing the activities that would be considered site selection um, to develop the RFP in a cloud-based app and then issue that, that request for proposal to whoever you want to fill out the, that, that information. So for us, we would send it to the states and Inside the app, the states have the ability to delegate to whatever communities they think have properties that would meet those requirements so that they can collaborate in, an, in, an, in, in the cloud, in an online application um, on completing that. When they're finished with it, they, they hit send and it rolls back up to the, to the project owner, which is the site selection consultant. What's good about that is that from a site selector standpoint is that we can see when the state sends out the RFP to their communities. Usually this just happens in a vacuum. We have no idea. We can also see what communities are participating, what sites they're considering submitting, and we can see the progress. So it will tell us they're 20% done, they're 50% done, they're 80% done. So we also know who's waiting till the very last minute. Um, It helps us get prepared on our side. So we have a barometer of how many sites we're going to get when Friday at five o'clock and the deadline is um, so that we're not, not sure whether we're going to get 40 sites or four sites. And it also um, allows uh, the, the online collaboration. So we have a communication tool in there so that we can chat back and forth. If we have some clarifying questions, that sort of thing. And then when the information comes back, we have an API built to our sister software, which is called Site Shepherd, which are all the analytical tools that we use in site selection. So we screen for the must criteria. We score on the qualitative criteria according to the requirements of the project. And we also can financially assess those locations on operating costs, investment costs, ESG costs, even revenue. If it's something that's looking like a, you know, if it's a retail type decision so that you can really quickly get to the short list because we're looking for those sites that meet the minimum criteria and then optimize on both quality and cost. So then once an economic developer answers a question for a site one time, does it remember, you know, if I put in there, you know, how long my rail spur was, will it remember that the next time I'm asked it? So I'm thinking how it might help them. Currently it, it remembers, um, I, I don't know exactly the number, but it remembers several dozen questions that so are part of the template. Some, yeah. So you can pre-populate all that. Now you still have to go back through it and make sure that it's accurate, but at least you're not having to type that information in a second time or a third time or a fourth time. Right. Now there are other questions that currently that information is not retained, but we have that on our development list. That's one of the things that we're really working on because we know that that is a huge pain point for economic developers that not only is there no standard for how questions are asked, so I might ask a question one way and somebody from another site selection group might ask it just a slightly different way so that it causes extra work. 
um, but also that you have to enter the same information over and over again. So we're, we, we've got that half fixed and we're working to, to right. fix, fix the balance. Awesome. Well, I always like to ask our guests, how you got in this business? So did you grow up wanting to be a site selector? Oh, yes, you? yes. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows <laughs> like everybody, yeah. Right, right. No, I had absolutely no idea what site selection was. And uh, I, my undergraduate was in architecture and so I was in design and construction for several years before I went back to get my international MBA. And I did an internship with Floor Daniel, now called Floor, in Argentina. And while I was there, uh, Ed McCallum, who was working for Floor at the time, came down and was working on a feasibility study for a copper smelter project. And I was just absolutely fascinated. And I said, so let me get this straight. You fly all over the world, ask, uh, helping companies determine where they're going to build these big, heavy industrial projects. And he says, yeah, that's basically it. And I was like, they pay you to do that. And he just laughed. And I was like, I definitely want to do that. And he gave me his card. And six months later, I was starting work in Greenville, South Carolina at Fleur Daniel with, wow. with Ed and um, Mark Sweeney and John Sisson and Bill Dorsey at the time, yeah. who was kind of one of those of the godfathers of site selection. So it was I had excellent mentors and I've just been really passionate about it ever since. It was one of the first people I met. So I got my start as a project manager at Mobile for the mm -hmm. Mobile Chamber. And uh, Ed was representing uh, Eastman Chemical. They ended up expanding in Kingsport. Mm -hmm. They were looking in Mobile. And uh, my first day on the job, we hosted a project and it was Ed and whoever came from their group, uh, maybe uh, Jeanette Goldsmith or somebody on Eastman Chemical. So I was kind of the same way. I was like, wait a minute, these people get to fly around and do this all the time. It looks fun to me. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. I think there are a lot of people that think it's, it's glamorous um, and we do get to do some really cool stuff, but it's also exhausting. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there was something that was written in, in a newspaper once about the high, high powered consultants jetting around the country. And when I'm coming home and it's like already midnight and I've been on the road for five days and I haven't gotten any sleep, I'm thinking about, I don't feel like a really high powered consultant jetting around the country. It feels a bit like drudgery at that point. And so I think, you know, to be in that, this business, you really have to love people. You have to love travel you have to be very curious. Um, but if you're those things, it's, it's a very rewarding profession. Well, before we wrap up, talk a little bit about how projects uh, will start and stop and change. Because I used to be an economic developer before I got on this side of the table. And I, I used to would wonder, well, I've sent my RFP and I hadn't heard from them. Now it's a different project. It's half as much. It's double. They're, I got a different competitor. Now that I sit on this side, I mean, I see how companies are constantly you know, getting new contracts and, you know, fulfilling. But but I didn't understand that as the economic developer. A lot of times their boards or mayors may wonder, you know, why haven't we heard from that project? So just talk about on your side, getting a company through that process and maybe what an economic developer can expect and, and how not to get frustrated if it's not moving at the mm -hmm. time frame they think. I think the one thing that you can do is just expect the unexpected because, you know, particularly for projects, the higher the level of investment, the, the risk it is. I mean, these are high stakes decisions. And sometimes it's not just a decision of where do I build? It's also a decision of whether or not I build at all. Uh, little things can change. You know, we were working on a big metals project a few years ago and the commodity prices fell and the project went away. Um, sometimes we have projects go away because of a shift in foreign exchange rates. Um, certainly a company's uh, 
um, stock price can change. But I also like to tell the stories about the projects that came back. So a good example is we did a glass insulation facility for Knopf Insulation, which is a German company. They have strong operations in the U.S. And we had looked uh, extensively for a new facility for them in uh, the central part of the country and South Central. And we were really at the one foot line in March of 2020. I mean, we had done, we had already gone, chosen or gotten very close to to choosing the final site. We had in Texas, just outside of Waco and McGregor, we had gotten uh, approval for Texas Enterprise Fund. I mean, it was, you know, was right there. They were getting ready to take it to the family for final approval and COVID hit. And just being a conservative family and understanding that cash is really king when you go through a crisis, they just pulled back from a lot of their capital investments at that time. So the project went on life support essentially, and then eventually it was completely canceled. Then the housing market just took off. And so about a year later, they called us and said, we got, we got to go. I mean, our customers are telling us that they need, we need to build this capacity. And so we, Crank that thing back up. We called, you know, Waco Chamber and said, you know, are you, are you still in? And thankfully they were still interested. Um, and several months later, they announced the project and it's full steam ahead. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes projects go away, but there's always a chance that they could come back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we conclude, uh, was there one tip you thought from this morning's session that economic developers weren't here much to learn from or what would be the one the one lasting thought you'd get with them to, uh, to do better at their jobs. Well, I think uh, Anna from Entergy asked me this morning, what is the one thing that communities can do that, you know, turn you on that maybe, maybe they're not necessarily thinking about. And, and my advice to them is to, when you get an RFP, really try to put yourself into the company's shoes. What can you tell from that RFP about what their drivers are? How much electricity are they using? How many employees they have really specialized skills? Even if you don't know what the company name is or you don't know exactly what they're going to be doing, there are a lot of things that you can infer from that. And then look at your site and your community and your labor force and try to understand where you may have deficiencies and start solving those problems before they ever come to you and ask them. I mean, you know, really saying, here's your, here's your construction schedule. And it looks like we might be kind of tight on the extension of the gas line or something like that. This is what we're going to do in order to make you feel better about that. We're going to go ahead and acquire the right away, or we're going to do the environmental studies, or we're going to, whatever your plan is to address it, but just don't, don't sit there and think that they're not going to find it because they will figure it out. And if you are prepared and honest with them, because there is no perfect site, you just need to be upfront and tell them that you have a plan. Yeah, that's it. So the, the strengths of the site will come to fruition either way. That's so right. Work on your weaknesses. So so don't just start answering the question you're saying. Read that thing for comprehension and really ask yourself, what do these people want? And then start attacking your weaknesses. Exactly. I like that. All right. Well, Didi, thank you for being with us today. Uh, any any uh, last words? Tell these folks where to find your website if they want to learn more about well, I know now you got Lasso, Site Shepherd, and Global Location. So can they get it all, your Global Location They can site? at globallocationstrategies.com is our website. And then you can go to siteselectiontech.com to see more about the different site selection tools. All right. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you.